This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So as value investors, we are all, I'm pretty certain, fans of Warren Buffett, or at least Berkshire Hathaway, or a combination of both, right? Because that's kind of the value investing thing, is to be interested in what Warren Buffett is doing as he's the world's greatest value investor, and he's still with us. So we get to continue to learn from him and see his moves. And I know that many of you have wanted to buy the shares of Berkshire Hathaway, or maybe you already own the shares. They do come in two different forms. There's the Berkshire A shares, which are the original shares that are like thousands and thousands of dollars. But then finally, Buffett was convinced to launch the Berkshire B shares, which are kind of like the mini ones so that you and I could both go out there and buy some of uh, the company because we couldn't afford, you know, 80,000 or $100,000 or whatever it was back in the day to buy the A shares. So I know many of you want to buy the B shares or you do own it. And Berkshire itself was a tremendous performer in the 1970s and 80s. And not so great in the 90s because Buffett didn't own any tech companies and tech was running wild. So uh, Berkshire underperformed a bit in the 1990s, but it rebounded again in the 2000s after the dot-com bust. And after it was uh, kind of shown that Buffett was right about the tech companies and the valuations in the late 1990s. And then he got some deals during the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, And he had already owned a lot of financials in that first decade. And those were huge winners in that decade um, during the financial boom, let's call it. And then we had the financial crisis. But he was able to get some of those financials on sale as well during the crisis. And then he continued to make some key acquisitions after the financial crisis. So Berkshire bought uh, BNSF Railroad in 2010. And it's considered to be one of the cornerstones of the Berkshire portfolio now, along with the Apple equity position. Those are two of the big cornerstones. And as you know, Berkshire is more than just the stocks and the cash. It is companies like Burlington Northern. It also owns Seas Candy, Dairy Queen, Business Wire, where we continue to see many of the press releases for the earnings Uh, put out on Business Wire, Clayton Homes, Fruit of the Loom, Geico, of course, that was one of his huge investments early in his career, and Pampered Chef, one of my favorites. And there's a bunch more, um, including on the energy side and utilities. Uh, So Berkshire is a conglomerate. It owns businesses across multiple industries, uh, you know, different types of companies in different market caps in different parts of the country. And then it has its equity portfolio, which we normally talk about a lot on this podcast. And that I think gets a lot of focus from investors because uh, we like stocks and you can go on websites and just see what they own. So the stocks are just kind of out there. And now uh, we also know that it carries a lot of cash. He's he's uh, got a lot of good free cash flow right now. And so it's um, 
carrying a big cash position. And on Twitter recently here in November of 2021, someone brought up the fact of all Berkshire's cash. So in their latest filing, they said that the cash position has risen up to $149 billion, the largest it's ever been. And on Twitter, after this was being tweeted out, I commented that this was one of the reasons I sold the shares 10 years ago. I didn't like that it had a lot of cash. I didn't like that um, he was limited to really only large cap stocks. Um, I just didn't like it, so I sold it. And um, then suddenly I started to get all these tweets at me about what a stupid move that was. And, you know, the emoji of the like, you know, I can't believe it emojis were sent to me. Um, the mocking ones with the hand claps, like, you know, good job, you were dumb, that kind of stuff. But to be honest, I haven't really looked at what Berkshire Hathaway's shares have done in quite some time. So I was like, well, maybe it's surging. And I didn't, I, I haven't seen that it was. And maybe, um, you know, I would have been better off just sticking it out all those years. So I took a look and no, I, I was still correct. The S&P 500 ETF, the VOO over the last 10 years is up 275% versus Berkshire B shares up 262. So those are almost virtually identical. When you're looking at the chart, yeah, the S&P is up a little bit more, but you know that can change tomorrow or the next week a bit. And so these are kind of moving in tandem, at least right now, um, on the 10-year returns. So, um, but it turns out I didn't sell 10 years ago. Um, no, I did sell them, but not 10 years ago. I had to go back into my accounts and look and see because I thought it was about 2011 when I sold the shares, but it turns out I sold on February 4th, 2013. So two years later, and then it turned out it looks like I bought shares of Ulta right after that. So I took some of the money and I bought shares of Ulta on February 15th, 2013. So from February 15th, 2013 to November 10th, 2021, when I'm recording this podcast, the um, S&P 500 was up 209% during that time period. The Berkshire B shares were up 179, 179%. So not that bad for either one of those things, right? But Berkshire B still trailing the S&P 500 on this more narrow time period of February 15th, 2013 through November 10th, 2021. But those Ulta shares I bought on February 15th are up 340% during that time period. And I still own those shares. So I got lucky in picking Ulta after I sold the Berkshire B shares. So I'm not saying that's easy at all. That's why I really believe that people should just be in the S&P 500 versus the Berkshire B shares. Um, because even Buffett himself said that after he dies and his wife inherits, that he's expecting her inheritance to be invested in just basic index funds because no one can pick stocks like him, right? <laughs> um, and so index funds are fine. You will do fine, especially in a bull market, which this is right now. Um, we've all done fine if we're in the S&P 500, even better than the Berkshire B shares. 
So um, when I said all that, many of you still were trying to argue it was still better to be in the Berkshire B shares because of Apple, because it owns Apple, it's a great investment, and it has really propelled the Berkshire portfolio because it is the biggest position in the equity portfolio, and it's one of the cornerstones of the portfolio, as even Buffett himself has said. Um, and it's been a great investment. I'm not arguing that, but you can just buy Apple yourself. You can own the shares. You don't have to buy Berkshire Hathaway to get the shares or any of his other holdings. You could have bought Chevron when Berkshire bought it in the fourth quarter of 2020. And you could be up uh, if you had held on to Chevron, ticker CVX. It's up 35.5% year to date. Now, Berkshire actually bought it in the fourth quarter and sold some in the first quarter and then a little bit more in the second quarter. We don't yet have the third quarter uh, trading moves yet. We'll get those shortly in the next couple of days. But um, maybe they don't even own Chevron anymore. We don't even know. But you could have been holding on to it and uh, cashing it on this like, bull in the energy markets. So I'm bringing all that up because, again, you're not really getting anything better by owning the Berkshire B shares. And that has been true over the last decade. And yes, I know some of you can point to time periods in there, a year here, a year there, where maybe it did outperform. But if you're just looking for a basic investment that's well diverse, you don't have to own Berkshire Hathaway and you're not really getting any bonus for owning Berkshire Hathaway at all. Um, I did take a look at the Invesco QQQ <laughs> ETF, QQQ is the ticker, because maybe you want the Apple exposure in a big way and it's the number one holding in the QQQs, the same way it is in Berkshire B shares or in Berkshire's portfolio. So um, Apple's just 11.3% of the QQQs, however, so it's a little bit uh, smaller and you're gonna be a little more diverse, but you'll also get Microsoft, it's a 10% position, Amazon, 7.8% position. Now Berkshire also owns Amazon, but it's a very small position. They only bought a billion dollars and they haven't added to it. Although I'll be interested to see if they maybe did this last quarter because the shares have been going nowhere and they seem much more like a value-ish type play here. So we'll, we'll be watching on that, but you can just buy the QQQs and get a big position. That It owns uh, Alphabet, which is about an 8% position as well, both the A's and the C shares. It owns uh, Metaverse or Facebook, 4% shares there. Tesla, you get that, 3.9%. NVIDIA, 3.8%. PayPal 2.3 and Adobe 2.2. So you're getting all that if you just buy the QQQs. Now year to date, the QQQs are up 24.7% and Berkshire B shares are up 23.5. So it's running uh, kind of neck and neck as well with um, the QQQs. So what's the difference? You might have fewer uh, costs and um, it just might be easier to buy one of these bigger index indexes. Now, remember the thing I also don't like about Berkshire is that 
it's mostly limited to big caps. Occasionally, one of the lieutenants does buy a mid cap or smaller cap shares in something that's smaller. But because the portfolio is so huge now, if they even just buy a billion dollars worth of something, a small cap, it's not really going to move the needle at all for the entire portfolio. That's why all good investors should be in some kind of small cap funds. So I took a look at even just if you had owned the small cap S&P 500, or I'm sorry, the small the S&P 600, which is a small caps value ETF, um, that is up 35.3% year to date versus again, let me see what was the Berkshire 23.5. So small caps haven't been all bad this year, although it's been pretty rough over the last 10 years. What's in this ETF? I own this in my own personal portfolio. And um, this is a mix up of many of the small caps, including a lot of the small cap banks. So in even just the top 10, which and they're only like a, a less than a percent each, you have First Hawaiian, that's one of the banks, FHB is the ticker, FHB, First Hawaiian Bank, FHB. Pacific Premier Bank Corps, PPBI, PPBI, and then Bank United, BKU. All three of these are new to me. I haven't gone in to see what's going on with them. I do like to find some interesting, intriguing banks, though. As you all know, on my banking podcast, um, I always run across some banks in various of my screens here at Zach's, or I end up buying them for um, the insider trader, because the insiders have been buying the banks over the last couple of years. And so I've been exposed to some of the banks that I otherwise might not know because there are thousands of the community banks and they're all publicly traded. And so you could be uh, looking around for a while in these much smaller types of banks, unless you live near one or you bank at one, and then you kind of know what, what it's like and what they're doing. Um, otherwise, you just kind of have to run across them like I just did right now. So I haven't looked at these three, but the small caps are doing well this year because of both energy and the banks. And all of these um, are giving it a boost, which I'm expecting it to continue to for next year as well. So Berkshire has no exposure to these small cap banks. It's had exposure to the big caps and it had for years when it was about 55% financials over the last couple of years. They've really lightened that load now. It's way down now um, because they got rid of like JP Morgan and Wells Fargo and the other big banks. They have kept Bank of America and it's now 14.2% of the portfolio as of the second quarter. And remember, Apple is 41.5% as of the second quarter. So those are their two big positions. So it does have exposure to banks. And um, if you know the Fed starts raising rates and the bank earnings situation starts to improve next year, all the banks will rise. But I really want to be in those small cap banks. And we're going to see um, probably a bigger rally in the small caps than the large. So in addition to all of that, he does have that $149 billion that I mentioned earlier just sitting there. He keeps saying that he doesn't have anything to spend it on. He can't find anything because we are in this hot 
economy and stock market, and there's no value really out there. And additionally, a lot of the companies he owns and his own companies are creating all this free cash flow, and that's just going right into the, you know, the portfolio as an asset, but he's not doing much with it. They are buying back shares. They started that a couple of quarters ago. There's been no dividend announced. He doesn't really believe in dividends. So I'm not really looking to get that. But that cash is just kind of sitting out there. And, you know, once you get to levels like 149 billion, there isn't that much you can do with it. Even if you deploy it and you buy something that's 40 or 50 billion, you see the problem. There's still another 100 billion sitting there. So who knows, maybe he will do a special dividend and give it back to the shareholders. I don't know. But again, there's no need for me to own Berkshire and all that cash, and especially not in an inflationary environment where the cash really starts to lose its value. I can just buy the S&P 500 or the QQQ to get my big cap exposure and I'm also getting a dividend with both of those. So I'm getting that at least. And um, then I can diversify with some other small cap stocks or, you know, an index of the small caps. And this doesn't preclude you from following his moves in the portfolio, which we do here on the podcast, and for you to buy what you like within it. I've met many investors over the years who kind of pick and choose whatever Buffett and his lieutenants are buying and they go in on the ones that they like. So they have kind of like a mini Berkshire Hathaway equity portfolio. Um, and market cap isn't really a problem with us. So we can buy anything that he's buying. And the size of the position is not a problem, at least probably not for most of us. So we're not going to be a 5% owner or a 10% owner of a certain equity. So we can just buy whatever and we can add to those positions wherein Berkshire sometimes cannot. So my belief is just that Berkshire is too bloated. Um, it's just can only invest in really the big cap stocks and big companies. Now it's it's kind of too good for its own riches <laughs> and conglomerates. Um, can be good, but they can also kind of be inefficient. And some of the businesses within the conglomerate kind of get lost in the shuffle. So I have no regrets of selling in 2013. But again, I got kind of lucky because I did buy Ulta with some of that cash. And um, that has done well. But even if I had just bought an S&P 500 index, as you have seen now, that has done well. And again, I would uh, consider just buying the S&P 500 index. I do own the VOO for this reason, because it is a good way to get um, a lot of big cap companies under one umbrella, basically like Berkshire Hathaway. And uh, that's easy. And then remember that the best performing stocks historically have been small cap value. As I mentioned earlier, it's been a rough 10 years for small cap value. So you have to have a real strong stomach to have stayed in it all this time. Uh, but our time will come again. And I'm already seeing some of them that momentum this year in both energy and the bank stocks, which are a big part of small cap value, finally starting to turn it around and maybe ending that bear market they've been in for 13 years now 
and starting to maybe hopefully enter into their own bull market. And that will mean great things for small cap value, not so good for Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway, however. So keep that in mind. Um, I'm not saying it's a horrible investment to be in the Berkshire shares, not at all, but it's not as great of an investment as you might think. Even though that chart looks good, the chart for the S&P 500 and the QQQs looks equally as good. So um, it's kind of embarrassment of riches, but be careful on Berkshire going forward here as these market conditions may change and big cap uh, land, as I like to call it, may not be as uh, bullish or in favor as mids or small caps going forward. So um, just a little bit of history on the Berkshire Hathaway on this week's episode. And it is reminding me that we will check in with the portfolio again shortly to see if they made any exciting moves in the third quarter of this year and um, whether or not they are, you know, did add some positions and maybe some of these areas that look a little bit more bullish or if they added to Amazon. So we will see. So let me recap some of the tickers because I did talk about uh, quite a few of them today. Uh, There is Berkshire B shares, BRKB is the ticker. And then I talked about Ulta, ULTA, the S&P 500 ETF is just VOO. That's the Vanguard one. It's a low cost. You can find other ones that are also low cost. So you can easily invest in those two, but I always just use the VOO. I do own it in my own personal portfolio. Then I talked about the small cap value, the S&P 600. It's a little more narrow than the bigger Vanguard small cap value fund that I've mentioned before. So that's why I like it. It's S-L-Y-V as in Victor, S-L-Y-V. Then we talked about, of course, Apple, because that's big in the portfolio, Berkshire Hathaway, AAPL, Chevron is was in there. Is, did it remain in there? I don't know. CVX. Um, they also own Bank of America. BAC is the ticker. That's their biggest bank. And then a few of the small banks that are in the SLYV, if you just want to go check those out, um, I have to go look at them again because I can't remember the names. Okay, first Hawaiian, F is in Frank, H, B is in Boy is the ticker there. Pacific Premier Bank Corps, P is in Paul, P is in Paul, B is in Boy, and I, PPBI, and then Bank United, BKU, U. Um, as an uncle, BKU is the ticker for that one. So a lot going on out there in the small caps and in value. And um, we'll see what happens with the large caps here going forward. But there are a lot of good value stocks out there right now, even with this record run and new record highs on all the indexes. There's still these pockets of value in both the banks in energy, in some of the retail. You still can get stocks with PEs under 10 that have great fundamentals and great growth projections. I'm gonna be talking about all these in the coming weeks here on the Value Investor Podcast. So be sure to get us somewhere. You can get us on Amazon Music. We're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on SoundCloud with the Zach's Market Edge. But be sure to get us somewhere and I'll see you again next week with some more value stocks. 
This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.